if anybody says that Gibby's just mailing it in, they have no effing clue what they're talking about. If you ask any of the guys that I play with, I pretty much keep dominoes in business. That has got to be one of the lamest ways for a baseball game to end. Welcome to episode 15 of Digging In with JP and Sebia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. Today we are joined on the show by, I think, the guy it's fair to say is sort of the man of the hour in the Blue Jays world right now, which is young rookie catcher Danny Jansen. Yeah, number nine. Number nine making an appearance back behind a dish, which is I'm excited about. He's uh, he's a good kid. I've had conversations with him before, um, and it's been cool to see kind of his rise. That's my biggest thing is, is you look throughout his career, he was at the beginning of it in the minor leagues. He kind of struggled, and then all of a sudden figured it out and uh, has not looked back. So he's been fun to watch back there. And uh, again, positives, be able to watch games at the end of the year with a purpose to uh, to see what's next to come. Yeah, I think a lot of times a guy has one bad year in the minors and you're like, oh, well, he's not making his way up anymore. And that's kind of the end of it. People need to see that sort of linear path forward. And he's had kind of a winding path, but it's turned out really well. Looks like a very legitimate starting catcher potential. So today, we're going to talk about two of the friends of the show, previous guests, Kevin Pillar and John Gibbons, because uh, on Sunday, during a rough one for the Blue Jays in New York, Kevin Pillar went for a steal of third, and his team down by a bunch, and two outs, was thrown out at third for the final out of the game. There was an exchange between them in the dugout. Obviously, we don't know exactly what was said, but a lot of people, a lot of amateur lip readers at home saw the word selfish coming out of John Gibbons' lips. There were definitely some curse words, uh, if you will. And then after the game, something you almost never see, which was John Gibbons, he kind of called out Pilar a little bit. He said, you know, that, that play's not acceptable in high school. It's not acceptable in rookie ball. Like, he needs to know better than that, yada, yada. And he, to be fair, he did say, you know, Kevin normally does everything right, et cetera, et cetera. That's what makes this so hard. So it wasn't like he tore into him. But normally, Givens sort of backs his guys no matter what. So what do you make of this scene and uh, and Givens kind of laying down a little bit of discipline, which we don't normally see from him? Well, obviously, I, I agree. I think, listen, when you play baseball, you know one of the written rules or unwritten rules or whatever is you you don't – Try to, you try not to make the first and third out at third base. I mean, that's just something that you kind of grow up knowing. Um, and then, you know, with the game out of control, it really does nothing to be able to steal that bag, right? That's that's what I think it's even it's even tougher. If you go out there and you steal that bag and it's a, you know, 3-2 game, a one-run game or a close game, and that run means something, then I understand that, you know, okay, you got thrown out to the end of the inning, still not the right thing to do because you're – quote-unquote, already in scoring position at second base. But to go, I, I understand his Gibbons frustration. To start or try to steal at that kind of game where his run means nothing, then if you think about it, really the only kind of motive is selfishly, I'm just trying to get a bag. But knowing Kevin Pillar and knowing the kind of person he is and knowing the kind of teammate he is, you know, I don't know if it just for him that you're in the game competitively, you're like, this guy's not paying any attention to me. This is an easy, this is just, I can just go. This is an easy bag. Or again, maybe sometimes just you lose concentration and all of a sudden you do something that you really didn't like take into consideration. But 
Gibby's right. That's a play that should never be done. But also understanding Kevin Pillar, I mean, I, I'm sure that there was something that if he would, if he were to be able to talk about it, would say, you know, I, I don't know. I just had a little brain fart. Yeah, I think that if you talk about like what could the motive be, and the idea that this is a selfish play, and it's true in the sense that, like you said, the play doesn't do anything for the team. But I also have a hard time believing Kevin Pillar standing on second base, thinking, oh here's my 14th steal of the year. Like, that's going to help me in arbitrate. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's out there thinking, like, here's some stats I can get. I think he probably saw an opening, and he didn't think clearly enough about the rest of the context. And he thought, oh, well, I'm just – it's kind of instinct probably a little bit as a guy. And he, we know him as a guy, but also as a player. The way he crashes into the wall, the way he dies, like, he is that – all-out player. We, we made some jokes about Brett Laurie earlier, and Brett Laurie is kind of like an extreme version. But Pilar, I think he is a guy who kind of throws caution to the wind in a general sense. And so it's not shocking to see him make a mistake like this because some of the best things he does are also him kind of running saying wild. the risk. Yeah, the risk doesn't matter. I'm just going to go for it. Well, yeah. And again, I w- he is not selfish. That's 100%. That, that's one thing about Kevin Pilar. You know he's not selfish. The thing is, is again, looking at from the outside in, anybody who didn't know Kevin or any of that stuff, they would say because of the way it lo- comes across that kind of game, it's considered a quote-unquote selfish move. Like, again, it doesn't, it does nothing. It doesn't help the team. It really doesn't do anything other than pad your own stats, which ultimately kind of backfired. But, again, I mean, it's it's he just plays hard, man, and there's sometimes that, that playing hard gets you in trouble. Uh, and that's both offensively and defensively, whether it be dive for a ball and it gets by you in a certain situation, whatever it may be. But again, when you go down to it and you strip it all back and you go, okay, let's let's look at this as a whole and not just as a play, you go with the human being. Okay, Kevin Pillar, probably one of the best team guys around. Okay, well, what happened? He brought, He just had a little brain fart. And yes, in a season like this, is it tough? because everything is now going to be drawn out. And and listen, Gibby's in a tough spot too, man. Gibby knows that it's kind of the end of it for him, I feel like. And so he's just he's just there and he's trying to go to the yard every day and have a smile on his face and be positive. And, but I, after a while too, getting your tail whipped uh, throughout the whole year kind of amounts some pressure. And just talking with a few guys, I think that they're starting to feel that kind of – I would say whatever um, you can feel Gibby kind of his mood changing a little bit. And so again, I think that everybody at this time, it's like when you're with people for too long, everybody, everything becomes kind of annoying. And then when you're with people and things are struggling, then it really becomes annoying. So I think that's kind of where they're at. I do think that there is one side of this for Gibbons. That's interesting is that it's clear that the guy still cares. Cause I remember when I was watching TV and they were cutting to a clip of Givens during some, uh, it was a video review and he was kind of slumped back and they're like, look at this guy. He clearly doesn't care anymore. He's just mailing in for the rest of the season. But when he comes out like that, he gets that kind of energy, that kind of emotion with one of his players. And then he alt- he got tossed in the game as well. The fact that he's, and you're, you're right, maybe it is to an extent that it, you know, things are catching up to him and he's in a bit more of a negative place. But at the same time, he's not falling into apathy. He's not kind of sitting back and letting everything take him. It's clear that he's still invested to some degree. And so that I think that speaks well of him as a professional, that he's still 
invested in winning that day or winning the next day and he's not just sitting back on the bench letting the season pass him by. Well, if anybody says that Gibby's just mailing it in, they have no effing clue what they're talking about. Because Gibby is still, listen, at the end of the day, Gibby still cares. Gibby still respects the game, right? That's that's what you, if you're at this age in the game where he's at and to put it all the time that you've put into it, you don't just mail it in, dude. This has been your entire livelihood and life. So for somebody to say that, they're an idiot. Secondly, for Gibby, again, this guy is still going to be able to do the right things and teach guys the right things and try to try to win games and do all the different things. Now, he might make different moves later in the year because he's giving different guys a shot, stuff that may not be the usual way that he would have gone about it. But in that, end, that sense of things, that's just part of – uh, par for the course, really. But uh, for Gibby to say that he's just mailing it in, then these people have no idea. This guy's literally been around the game his entire life. He's a person who's always been teaching the game, always talks the game. And again, it is his life. So he's going to continue to go out there and help guys, talk to guys, protect guys, do everything that he needs to do to be able to finish it out the way that he would finish it out. If this, you know, I imagine that obviously this is he's done after the season, but. Um, again, that's, that's just Gibby. Gibby's going to always care and is going to always try to teach the game and help out when he needs to do it. Yeah. And we've talked before about playing out the stretch and as a baseball player in that position where, you know, you have your personal pride, but you also have the people in the stands, the fans, the kids, like there's a lot of reasons to stay motivated, even if it seems like the season is sort of pointless in a sense. And the same thing applies to managers. You know, there's only 30 managerial jobs in the entire major leagues. Like when you have one of those jobs, I think it is your responsibility to take that privilege seriously because there's so many people that would be dying to manage a major league baseball team, even a team that was in the dumps, even a team had no chance to make the playoffs. Like there are people who work their entire lives, hundreds of them who never get there. So if you are there, I do think that there is that kind of responsibility you have um, to all the people in that position to to honor that. And I think that it's kind of a, it's a good sign for me. It's positive for me. Not that I doubted that he would, but it does seem that when things like this happen, it it makes you pretty confident that uh, Gibby is yeah honoring the privilege of his position. Well, listen, at the end of the day, it's not even honoring the privilege for me. It's respecting the game. I think there are certain things that you do. Uh, that you, when you do your whole life, you respect certain things, right? Whatever it may be uh, in your work line of work, whatever, when you spend your entire life doing something, you respect it because you know, listen, man, this thing has given me a great living. He's managed and been in the big leagues for over 10 years, so he's got full pension. Like These are things that go into consideration, right? So at the end of the day, this guy respects the best game for me in the world, baseball. And so he's going to go out there and, and treat it correctly and do the things that he needs to do correctly. Because again, one, you're talking about John Gibbons and you've been around him. The guy is just one of the boys. And so it's more, it's not about him. I, I mean, that's the one thing I loved about Gibby that honestly, when, when I've got to see Bobby Valentine kind of manage, I was like, well, this guy's kind of a little bit of a clown. Cause it was all about him. Well, well, Gibby, it's kind of the opposite with Gibby, right? It's just like Gibby just wants the boys to go out there and play hard and win. He doesn't really make a fuss. He doesn't really – but when he says something, it's probably because it's pretty stupid. 
and something that we shouldn't have done. All right. So joining us now is one of the guys that uh, Gibby will be having to give a chance to for sure down the stretch. And uh, so far, it looks like he's going to be earning it. And that's rookie catcher Danny Jansen. All right. Here we are uh, with the man behind the dish right now, Mr. Dan Jansen. We're in number nine, which I'm excited to see because that fires me up to see a number nine behind the dish and not only a, a good player, but a, but a great kid. Uh, the first the first question before we get into anything is have you changed your phone to have a Canadian plan because it is one of the sneakiest but more uh it could be a big thing here uh, in the near future I have not no I uh I think I made a mistake already and put the roaming data on which oh no <laughs> my mom might not be too excited about that so <laughs> well listen you're, first off, when we get done with this, because now I'm gonna, now we're gonna make sure that you you spend your minutes. But when you get done with this, uh, whatever your cell services cell or services, you call them and you say, "Hey, I'm gonna be in Canada, and I need to switch my plan to have some kind of data in Canada and all that stuff." Because if not, like most guys, uh, when they come up, they get absolutely hammered with international cell phone bills. So. You can send me part part of the bill, okay? <laughs> yeah, that'll be the first thing I do is, is call them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, so talk to me. You got to the big leagues. Talk to me about the call because everybody has a different call. So I want to hear how it went down. Yeah, man. So it was crazy. Um, we were in a game. It was like the eighth inning, and uh, it kind of just came out of nowhere. You know, uh, I was trying. I was I was in the hole. I was going to get my uh, my stuff on my leg guard helmet on. And all of a sudden, our trainer like starts talking to our. We got a phone call from from. Uh, from one of our field directors and um, our trainer starts talking to our hitting coach because our manager is in the field, the coach at third base, trying to get his attention, waving the hands. Like, so I'm like, something's going on. I don't know what it, like who it is, what's happening. Something's going on. And uh, it's the eighth inning and he, <laughs> he gets whispered in his ear and the hitting coach, Corey Hart looks like right at me, kind of, kind of sneakily. And, um, and then, you know, he said, he pointed at me and said he can't play anymore. And I was like, I've seen that before with Teoscar, you know, in the beginning of the year. So I was like, no way is this happening right now. Started hugging all my teammates. Uh, Meech came in, told me, uh, made that phone call to my mom and dad like two minutes later. And uh, I got pretty emotional. And it was, you know, it was a dream come true right there. Talk to me, that, that phone call, right? Because I remember getting, you know, when they told me I was going to the big leagues, I called my mom. I hadn't really, you don't really start to kind of ball until – you talk to your family. I think that's kind of where it hit me, where I was just straight waterfalls out of the eyes. Is that how? How did that go? That conversation. Yeah, definitely. So I was, I was, you know, I was kind of holding back tears when I was hugging my my boys in the dugout, and then I, when I went down in the tunnel up to the locker room, I wasn't crying, but I was, I was definitely holding back a little tears. And then, um, I I went to somewhere where I thought I could be private. It was like in the batting cage, kind of behind a pole, and I called my dad and my mom. I know they'd be listening. They always watched every game. Uh, I probably didn't speak phone, and as soon as my dad answered, I just I tried to get it out, but I couldn't at first. I started bawling, man, and then and then my mom and dad were screaming, and they kind of started crying too. And then I called my brother, and he started crying. It was just a big, big waterfall fest. Danny, tell us a little bit about your debut, because this is something JP and I discussed on the podcast before: is that luxury of you being able to debut with a friend of yours from AAA who you're really familiar with, with Sean Reed Foley on the mound. How did that make things easier? How did that feel to kind of you two go through this experience together? Yeah, it definitely made it easier, man. It was, you know, when you're 
debuting with a guy who was also debuting, you know, you're both extremely, you know, nervous, anxious, excited. And, um, you know, to have a pitcher with his catcher, you know, be comfortable with a guy that he's been with for four years, um, definitely made it easier on him, I know. And it made it easier for me as well, just because we're both really familiar with each other. It's nothing like some extremely, like nothing's alien going on. No, it's just, it felt like it's home a little bit. And then also, you know, being, being able to, uh, being able to debut in Kansas City where my brother lives was, was amazing as well. It couldn't have worked out any better. It was perfect timing. A lot also has been made about you and uh, Ryan Barucki. I don't know if bromance is the appropriate word, but uh, you know, <laughs> best friends has been thrown around a lot of these type of terms. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be up with him now, the two of you, you know, locker mates, and uh, you know, you're going to catch him as well. Obviously, it didn't go the way it might have in your first turn together. but Yeah. Yeah, I mean, me and me and Brucky are about as close as you can get. We've been through so much together. We rehab together for a couple of years. Um, I remember meeting him uh, my first year at 13. It was his second year. He was rehabbing Tommy John. We got in the hotel room. Guys were playing some video games, and I walked in, introduced myself, and uh, that was the first day I met him. And then, yeah, like I said, we've just been through a lot together. We've played together for so long. We just always click. We're both Midwest boys, both uh, Chicago boys. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, um, being able to come up here, he's like the veteran. Me when I when I first came up here, I called him and 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 we got to share moments together. And then I was I was just asking him about all the things that you know I should be doing, shouldn't be doing, and and he was uh, able to answer all that stuff for me. Talk to me about your uh, first at bat or your first pitch that you had to catch in the big leagues. For me, people always ask like, oh, what was that first at bat? You know, like I literally said I was more nervous to make sure I caught the first pitch uh, of the game when I was catching. That's what I was more nervous about, but. Also, on deck, people don't realize you have, like, literally the, the good cop, bad cop on your shoulder going, do I swing at the first pitch? Do I just take the first pitch? So, oh, so give me that. Talk to me. Because people don't realize the kind of little things that, we go, that go through our head. Yeah, man, that's, that's funny. When I, was, when I was, like, on deck and in the hole and stuff like that, I was at nine in the debut, and I was, I was so anxious just to get, like, that first at bat. <laughs> you know, like, trying to get that first hit, you know. Um, and I, when I was on deck, yeah, I was like, do I swing? Because I'm not really an aggressive guy. Like, my, my numbers, like, my first swing uh, percentage, at least in the minor league, was like 10%, which isn't a lot. And um, I was on deck, and I was like, should I swing? Should I not swing? You know, I was just so anxious to get up there. Heard my name. Um, stepped in the box. I was in, it was in a major league box for the first time. My legs were kind of kind of weak a little bit. And then, you know, um, I saw a one-two slider, you know, uh, just kind of, kind of reached out there and got a barrel on it and it found a hole and you know having the first take out of the way and the first at bat that was definitely a take a deep breath after that one but it was an amazing feeling and then and then defensively maybe for you it wasn't uh as much of a big deal i was out there just like smokes just please catch the first pitch don't don't box the first pitch because i felt like that's where i, I played defense first because we were we were home and i think for you your first at bat was after you played defense so was it was the defensive side of it at all kind of nerve-wracking and then uh how's the how's the relationships with those umpires because i i'm sure you've noticed that they'll squeeze you early in your career yeah yeah so you know defensively yeah a little bit i mean um i was kind of, i'm kind of always that guy like when i go to a new level if i'm extremely nervous I just gotta block that first ball or catch that first ball or just throw that first in between uh in between ball to second base like just right on the money and um, I happened to do that first, you know, first throw in between innings around the money. And then I caught the first ball, and whatever the first ball in the dirt was, I blocked it. So as soon as that settled in, 
Um, I was like, this is this is the same game I've been playing since I was five years old, and just go out there and have some fun, man. It's, it's the same same exact game. So um, I w- it wasn't nerve wracking after that. After I blocked that first ball, I'd say. Then with the umpires, you know, I'm starting to get to meet them. So there's a, a guy in Yankee Stadium who I didn't have behind the plate, but um, I had him in AAA a little bit this year. He's kind of a filling guy. So, um, yeah, so far so good. I'm just starting to talk to these guys and get a relationship, and that's what you got to do early, you know, just get to know them. So on this podcast, we like to talk baseball. We like to take it a little bit outside the lines, if you will. You've been living the major league life for about a week now. What is your favorite perk of big league life so far? Because I know it's a very different atmosphere. I know that food is one that comes up a lot. The food you get in AAA compared to the big leagues, that's a huge (laughs) difference. But is there anything else you've noticed, things done for you, things you get that you're like, whoa, now I'm in the big leagues. I could get used to this. Um, Yeah, I mean, definitely the food is is humongous. We're at Yankee Stadium. We got whatever you wanted. You don't get chicken and rice every single day. Man, I don't know. It's just it's just all around just a dream come true. You, whatever you want, if you want new pairs of cleats. I'm trying to think, man. My mind is spewing right now. <laughs> well, here uh, one thing I can tell you is here in two weeks you're going to notice a huge difference. So that's going to be that's going to feel real sexy in two weeks when that check comes in and you're like, well, that's a lot. That's more than I made in like however many seasons combined. Ever. So that yeah. So that's so that's pretty dang special. Uh, also, have you have you got in your first have you got in your first big league bat order in yet? Because when you get to the big leagues, most of the time it's like, hey, I want now I'm in the show. I can order some a lot more wood. So have you got that one in yet? No, I right before I got called up, I or I put a bat order in. Um, I got like some bats from the futures game and like the international league all star game, and it just finally came in or whatever and. Um, I got called up and then the bats like met me in, uh, Kansas city. So I haven't put a big league bat order in yet. So I don't even know if I'm swinging big league wood, but, um, yeah, probably should do that. Prior to talking to you, I did, uh, my due diligence as a journalist and I just, I did some scanning of the Danny Jansen Instagram. And one thing that really stuck, stood out, ugh, stood out, stood out to me <laughs> was there's a lot of pictures of you and your pops. And I'm a big, you can't see me right now, I'm, I'm a bearded guy. I'm a big facial hair connoisseur. It's something we've discussed on this podcast a lot. So I wanted to know <laughs> your take on who's got the better mustache. Papa Jansen with the big bushy walrus, like old school cop, or Sean Reed Foley, who's rocking a look you don't see on a lot of 23-year-old guys. I mean, Foley's got the mean mug and mustache, but my pops has had that, that big bushy one for such a long time that I have to go with him. You know, it's, it's always been like his look. I'll tell you what, though, he did shave it. I kind of made him. He was just kind of looking old. Uh, gray hair is coming. The, the beard just getting out of hand. He's retired, so um, and so he's just chilling. He's, uh, I remember one offseason, I, uh, I, was, I was home. It was actually last offseason, and it was just getting out of hand, that, bit, that, that big uh, mustache. So I, I kind of, he was sleeping on the couch, had a razor out, <laughs> kind of you know, fake like I was going to shave it off, scared him a little bit. And um, he said, like, the next day, I actually woke up to, like, a text. I forget where I was, but I was somewhere else. And then he, it, was a, it was a picture of him, and it was, it was, he was clean-shaven. It was pretty funny. So, um, But I have to go with my pops. All right. And what uh, what do we got on the tune in the jukebox right now? Obviously, again, we talk baseball, but I want, I want people to kind of know a little bit about Mr. Jansen himself. What's what's on the on the jukebox? Um, I like a little bit of everything, man. Pre-game, I don't really listen to all the music, kind of whatever's going on in the clubhouse, but. Um, I'm, I'm all over the spectrum. I like uh, 
like old rock. I don't really like country pretty much everything but it. I like uh hip hop of course, two thousands rap, um rock and roll, pretty much it, yeah. Just I'm kinda of, kinda of everywhere. I like uh if you look at my playlist on Spotify, it's got it's called Vibes and it's got everything. What about what about food choices? We always get into food, and and I'll be in Toronto later this week, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some some uh, some good information. But what what's what food are you into? What's your what's your jams? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, um, I'll tell you what. If you ask any of the guys that I play with, like in the minor leagues and stuff, I, I pretty much keep Domino's in business. But um, <laughs> definitely looking to get out of that. I mean, I had it last night just to have it. <laughs> we we, but, uh, we have those in toronto you'll be fine i know it's, it's, it's crazy the, the ranch tastes a little different i will say but um different yeah, good looking or different to go bad? different good kind of yeah so i mean of course there's so many places around here um i haven't really experienced any of it so definitely looking forward to it hopefully you can JP can show me show me a place or something like that and go go out and see it. Yeah, I was going to ask you before we you let uh, before we let you go. You know, I'm Toronto born and raised. I lived here almost all my life. JP has been around here even after he's played. What is there something that you're is there something you're looking for in Toronto? You need help to find that uh, we can you know we can do you a little bit of a service before uh, we let you go. Um, no, I mean like what's like the mo- most popular spots that people go to? Either it's on a, like a like a like a like a bar restaurant like what's what's some of the most popular ones I've heard of Cactus Club is that like the main one or what what's what's really like the best ones around Well JP only goes to one spot so I'll, <laughs> I'll let JP tell you about that cuz he is ruthlessly consistent so let JP give a shout out to his boys Oh well, I mean no that's 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 for the the later <laughs> night stuff we don't we don't really get into that on here but li- there's a lot listen just put it this way I'll show you some spots there's a lot of good spots to eat at um, there's everything, but I would say if there was one thing that I got when I got to Toronto that I wanted to try was, was poutine, which I don't know if you've, if you've got it into it yet, but poutine would be for me. But it wasn't, I have never had it in Canada, so I definitely got to try that. Yeah. So you haven't had it then. Like, let's, <laughs> no, let's, be, let's be, as a Canadian guy, let me tell you now, I mean, at some point you got to go down to Montreal. That's where I went to school. That's where like, that's kind of the Mecca of poutine. I could give you some spots there. In Toronto, it's a little trickier. Um, you know, Smokes is maybe the Domino's of poutine, to use a reference that you could understand. Like, it's, a, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's, uh, it's solid, kind of fast food poutine. Poutini's is also a name to look out for, and there's a Poutini's right downtown, so I'll give them a little free advertising. Okay. Good. You see, catching, catching, and now I even became a bigger fan to know that you're a pizza guy. But quick question before we let you go, too. This is more food. Giordano's or Lou Malinati's? Yeah, Lou Malinati's for sure. Yeah, see, I even like you. I used to get those sent to me when I lived in the States or like further south, obviously. I didn't live in Chicago, but I used to get those frozen sent to me in the offseason. Man, it's the best. It's so much better. It's it's so tasty. Every time we go to Chicago, uh, I got family in the suburbs. We always get it. Great. Right. Well, perfect. Well, I'll be in here. I'll be in town soon at the end of this week. We're definitely going to take you to some spots. The good part is, is dinner is going to be on me since you haven't gotten that first big league check yet. So I'll be, I'll wait for it. I'll wait for it to come back, but we'll be getting together. We'll, uh, we'll enjoy it. And again, I'm excited to see you and to see you grow and continue to go out there and, and have fun, man. And again, remember, like I said, it's the same game and you, you've obviously, already understand that man same game and thank you for coming on yeah man thanks thank you guys for having me it was awesome we appreciate your time denny all right have a good one
That was Danny Jansen, uh, Blue Jays rookie catcher, and you know seems like a pretty well-grounded guy. He's, he's, he hasn't let the big leagues get to his head yet. Maybe we talked to him in a year and he's not eating any Domino's anymore. And uh, you know he's going to all the places in Yorkville that Stroh's recommending. Oh, no. But that's gonna that's gonna take a little <laughs> longer than just a year. He's gotta yeah he's got to get a little bit more service time, a few more of those checks before we're uh, talking about some of those you know the Soto Sotos of the world. But no, it's good to hear from Danny. And uh, you know I think he's one of the reasons for people to watch kind of going forward for the rest of the year, as we said before. So for today's memory lane kind of in the spirit of Danny Jansen, you got off to this great start. We, it's the famous start, the famous game. And then afterwards, you alluded to this uh, last week. You went on a really tough stretch for the rest of the year. Uh, 033 wasn't getting consistent time in 2010. The Jays were in sort of the race. People thought they could make a last-minute push. What do you think is the best advice you could give to someone? Like, let's say that Danny stumbles tomorrow and, you know, hopefully he doesn't, hopefully he keeps playing well. But, you know, the big leagues are tough. He's got this great start so far, but inevitably that kind of counterpunch is going to come from people. What, what was that experience like for you and what would you advise for him when that kind of starts to happen? Well, first, let me preface it with he the the way that they're handling him was is a lot better than the way that I was handled when I first got up to the big leagues. He's going out there and he's he knows that he's going to be getting consistent at bats. For me, when I got up there, I had that that debut. I caught a couple games, and then for whatever reason, they said, you know, hey, he's we just want to make sure he's got to work on game calling, yada yada yada, whatever stupid stuff that they wanted to come up with and then I started playing once every however many games and so it was really tough as a person that played every single day my entire career to go up there and then like all of a sudden I'm playing once every four days and which I thought was stupid to have me up there to do that with but on his end they're doing a really good job they're giving him his at-bats they're keeping him consistent and I think that's what you need to do with somebody who's young and coming up um so that's that's one thing which will help him. Again, as I said in the prior podcast, he has a blank slate, dude. He doesn't have to if if he struggles, who cares? If he has an amazing, you know, however many at bats, who cares in the sense of you can't look into it too much because you're like you said, there's going to be a counterpunch at some way at some point. And the biggest thing is is when that counterpunch comes, how does he react to it? And I think for right now, he can, he has a lot of rope. I mean, there is a long rope for him to be able to go and have his ups and downs and all these different things. And he again, he which he sounds phenomenally humble, and he he's just again, you could tell that he's he's uh, one of the boys and a happy-go-lucky guy. If he continues to maintain that kind of personality, he'll be great. Because you look at his entire career, man. The guy gets on base. The guy can hit. He could play defense. I know everyone's going to say, listen, anytime when you in baseball, when you hit, they're going to question your catching. Or if you're a good defender, they're going to question your, your hitting. So you're never going to satisfy everybody. But he just needs to continue to go out there, black, block out all that stuff, and then continue to do well. But again, you can't look into this early stuff. Like when I, I didn't know that I hit 033 or whatever into my first however many games. I don't know that stuff. I was just going out there. You go out there, you play, you enjoy yourself. And then you know that the following year, that's when it really, you're like, okay, this is, this is where I have to lock it in, in the sense of this is where 
it makes a big difference. It makes, you know, this is my first full year, all these at-bats, and these numbers are sticking as opposed to at the beginning. So that's my biggest advice. My advice to him would just be, hey, go out there, enjoy yourself, have fun, keep on making adjustments, keep on learning the staff, keep on learning the guys that you're going against. For the following year, you kind of put all those little tidbits in the piggy bank so that the next season comes, you can kind of get off with a good start. And we alluded to this earlier in the podcast. I think that it's noteworthy that he's a guy who's had some struggles in his minor league career to this point. He's not a guy who, you know, was drafted fifth overall and blew through all of the minor leagues and never and was kind of awesome his entire life and never struggled. Like he was a little bit more of a grinder. He had a really tough year in 2016 that I think a lot of people were sort of questioning what his potential was at that point and then rebounded incredibly well last year 2017 put himself on the map and now he's coming up this year so I think that as a guy and we can talk about his personality we can speculate on that he does seem like a very grounded guy but also we can point to this life experience that seems to indicate to me that he's a guy who's unlikely to fold like a house of cards if things don't go his way for a few weeks or for a month well like you said honestly you're right on he faced struggle early as a young player signing all these different things. So I'm sure he had to battle the mental doubts and all these different things that he had to go through to get to where he's at. For me, I really never struggled until my third full year in the big leagues. Like that's when I really, really struggled. So that's where it was tough to struggle on that stage. He was able to kind of struggle behind the scenes, which I'm sure helped his development and which would allow him to be able to make better adjustments, which I think is part of development, right? Is these guys at some point, you you don't want to, you try to create the least amount of struggle um, or you, you want to have, excuse me, the more struggle in the sense of throughout the minor leagues because you want to have the least amount of struggles in the big leagues because that's where it's tougher and more amplified and it's tougher to deal with. But I mean, there's times too, like you look at Vladdy. I mean, has this guy, I don't know if he's ever struggled since he was three years old, right? So at some point though, you know, it's going to happen where somebody, he's going to hit a rough patch and most likely it's going to be in the big leagues. And then it's just how he, you know, responds there. But I mean, again, it's, it's good to have somebody who had went through it in the minor leagues and then is going to be better prepared and well-suited for it come major leagues. Uh, if it happens in the major league. All right. So today outside the nest, our non blue Jay story, this one, stood out to me over the weekend, just a weird game that happened with the Mariners where they got a win on a walk-off balk. I don't know when the last time that happened was, but I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about box because I think a lot of fans at home don't really understand at all, and they don't understand. For me, the rule itself is relatively clear, but the enforcement of that rule seems to very wildly, but I wanted to know from your perspective, is that something where the fans just aren't quite as in tune with it and major league players know what's going on? Or sometimes have you been in situations where the players are as frustrated because they don't know what is and isn't a balk? Because it's this tiny little corner of baseball, but it seems to be one that we have a lot of hard time pinning down. Well, he definitely balked. I mean, that was, that was something that was a hundred percent. I mean, we know it. We know it as as players. I don't think that one was much of a question when a guy flinches like that. Usually, that's why you see guys on third base, which I think is so stupid. Because when you play the shift or you got you play the third baseman off, and you have that guy fake like he's gonna steal, and all of a sudden it flinches you. I mean, you just as a pitcher, like you you have to be 
like trained and just like a machine in the sense of if there's any doubt, your right foot has to go behind the mound, right? Like behind the rubber. Like you have to, uh, you know, if you're a righty, obviously is the way I talk about it. But you have to know that it's there's no flinching. You can't flinch. Just like when you're getting a sign from the catcher with a man on second base and you start and stop because you think that you got the sign and you didn't want that sign. Your first, out of out of just pure reaction and like ingrained in your mind, anytime that anything happens, just step off. Because that's the way it is, man. Baseball, that's if you flinch, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a balk call. And if you don't do it where it even looks correctly, they're probably gonna call a balk just because it looked weird. So the only one in baseball that I think is a questionable call is quote unquote the balk move. So what pitchers do with men on first base is they buckle their front knee to then like. It's like a really quick buckle to pick off the first base. So instead, it looks like to the naked eye, like, oh, it was just a regular pickoff. But to the person who's at first base looking at that front knee to get a good jump, it gets them. So that's where you see some pickoffs and umpires miss it a whole lot. But again, man, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty easy. <laughs> Box don't change throughout your career on the way up. It's just being able, I think sometimes the people who you get with box are the pitchers who speed up like mentally their brain is kind of just sped up. So they're kind of finicky out there. Guys that are under control, you rarely see Bach. From a fan perspective though, that has got to be one of the lamest ways for a baseball game to end. Yeah, no, it's like I got a guy balking someone like it. That's another thing I I understand. It's like one of those things where you talk about the NBA, are they going to swallow the whistle late in the game, blah, 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 or NHL in the playoffs, there's less calls. And in theory, you should just enforce the rules as written, but sometimes you have to have some feel. I guess in baseball, it's hard to do that, but it does seem like, I'm like, man, I would have liked to see that game resolve itself naturally as opposed to yeah, but that's the, an but umpire that's the making rules. that call. But that's the rules. I mean, I mean that uh, yeah, that, think about all that. There's a ton of different rules like that. Like you would... Do you want to see a guy finish a game with a foul or or a technical foul or whatever? And like, there's certain things that that are judgment based um, that you don't want to lose a game on, whether it be whatever sport. Uh, but for baseball, that's one of the rules. If you balk, runner advances. So don't balk. Now, for fans, is it kind of like a? It's like one of the. It's like a climactic moment that all of a sudden. Because I feel like even the other team was probably like, uh, uh, the one, uh, the Mariners who won were probably like, uh. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a kind of a weird celebration because yeah. there was a moment of people didn't know exactly what was going yeah. on. And then it's like, suddenly you're dropping up and down. It's like, do I fist pop? Wait a second. Why is this guy scoring? Because the fans are probably like, wait, nothing happened. So it's kind of on both sides. But again, it's just part of the game, man. And you can't balk with the person on third base because that run's going to score. So does it suck? Yeah, especially for the pitcher who I know who was a teammate with me in Tampa, Dylan Floro. Um, but the rules are the rules. So, yeah, is it lame? 100%. But it's part of the game. Yeah, I think it's the worst. I, th- I was trying to think of Is it literally the worst way for a baseball game to end? I, I would say Walk worse is than pretty that. Can I tell you what I think is worse than that? What do you think? I think is the, the lamest rule is catcher's interference because there's a lot of hitters. Oh, Imagine bases, bases loaded, loaded catcher's swing. interference. Yeah. I've never seen that. 
That'd be crazy. What, yeah, you've never seen a catcher's interference when a guy's... No, base, like bases loaded yeah, catcher's bases interference loaded, where like scored the run. Yeah, bases loaded catcher because here's there's plenty of guys, Jacoby Ellsbury, oh, he's Brett, legendary Brett Gardner, and I swear to you, I promise you that there was many times where these guys would go down like 0-2 or whatever in the account and I because I was even back, and this is obviously not just me, but this is other people... They would literally on video, it looked like they swung straight down at your glove. And you're like, mother effer. So, I mean, think about it. If you're a hitter, bases are loaded, and a guy, if I catches interference, game is over. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen a game end that way. That would but be that pretty would, bad. That'd be, that would be the that'd worst. That'd be worse. For me. That would be worse than a balk. I think you're right. I think that's the worst. Then balk, then. Probably hit batter. That's pretty lame. Like a guy loses a pitch and it just like grazes a thigh. And I always thought walk is kind of a bit lame. But to be fair, a hitter earns the walk. So those are the three for me that are bad. Catcher interference, balk, hit batsman. Those are the worst. Yeah, that would be if there was a bases loaded. And it's going to happen one day and then they're going to have the conversation about it. I, I mean, Ima- it's gonna imagine that ha- happened in like the World Series. Like World Series Game Four is over thanks to a catcher's interference. Well, dude, I hate it. I think there's a lot of times that it happens when it's not the catcher's fault. There are times that it happens when it's the catcher's fault, but a lot of these guys, they if they get fooled or whatever, they swing so late and they just hit their glove. And I'm I literally will put my whatever on it that Jacoby Ellsbury used to do it on purpose. Oh, because he's got – I think he has the record. He got the record from Pete Rose or something. And considering the length of his career, which is still pretty long, but, yeah, he blew he blew away all the records for catcher interference, which is like a really bizarre thing to have on your resume. Yeah. But that's what he does. Anyway, so we're going to finish how we always finish, JP Career Trivia. Uh, right now you're sitting at 23 for 42, so that's a 54.8%. You've taken a dip. Yours are as high as 60, I believe. Um, a couple weeks ago this one is worth two i think there's a decent chance that you get both of these right so you might be able to get back in this game and the question is actually relatively simple which is what is the longest major league game you've played in and then the the questions for points are number of innings that were in that game and who the game was against. Longest game, will it have to be San Diego Padres uh, or the Cleveland Indians or the Texas Rangers? <laughs> Uh, you're trying to read my expression exactly, like, that's exactly. not fair it's yeah. an audio show you're yeah. trying to read my I'm, face i am literally trying to go off that like uh he just moved his face so that's not a good thing but if you're a poker guy then i would be like you could kind of make fun you can kind of set me up but um I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not bad okay can you tell me it, can you I tell me can you tell me national league or american league and then i'll take a guess american league texas rangers um, Texas Rangers, and if I remember how many innings, maybe 18 innings. Uh, That's correct. Two for two, 18 innings. The Toronto Blue Jays beat the Texas Rangers on June 8th, 2013 on a Rajai Davis single. Uh, it was 18 innings, 4-3. Some facts about that game before we go into it. Hopefully you remember some of it. But uh, Brad Lincoln started for the Blue Jays, the very brief Brad Lincoln era. Mark Burley pitched seven innings of relief in that game. 
And just the like the list of pitchers here: Neil Wagner, Steve Delabar, Dustin McGowan, Casey I think, Jansen. Did I get did I get one hit that game? Do you, does it even have? Because I I remember you, you went two for eight oh, with three strikeouts. Yeah, because I remember going, and then those hits must have been late. Because I remember going like, please just get a knock, please get a knock, <laughs> uh, and I finally got a hit. Because those are the games. Like it's funny those games. Guys either have phenomenal games. Or guys, there's always the one guy that's 0 for 7 with five punchies, and you're like, dude, you're in the dugout. You're literally going, can please somebody end this game? For the love of God, just somebody. I don't care what side of the game it is. I don't care if it's Texas or Toronto. But I do remember that game, and it was also a day game because I remember that I was my feet were completely done because the roof was open, and later on it was a day game that that. I had to catch all those innings. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. The, I was looking through this. There's really, you know, it was a low-scoring game. No one really stands out. Adam Lind had four hits, so he, I guess he was kind of the star of the day. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you how that felt as catching. Like, catching Sucks. nine innings is tough. Catching 18 innings in a row seems like it would be absolutely brutal. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, at the end of the day, think about it, right? The game is going on forever. You haven't eaten, like, usually I would eat for a seven o'clock game at six o'clock, right? So I usually eat an hour before. So a one o'clock game, I'm eating at noon and I'm, you're starving. Again, you're back there going like, hey, at some point, somebody just win this game. Like, yeah, you want it, but you're like, somebody just take take the bull by the horns, right? And let's win this game. You don't want to lose, but you also don't want to be out there and be dead. But the, I think the day games, what people don't realize is the day games when they're warm, it's tough on the feet because the dirt is warm. And so after long enough, it it starts to really like your feet are like hot, like really, really, really hot. And so you're kind of just like, all right, dude, please. And then I've thrown, remember people forget too, as a catcher, if you think all the pitchers threw a lot of pitches that game, how many times did I throw back to the pitcher and throw to third base and throw to second base and throughout that game? So your arm after that game is kind of like, Please do not throw another baseball for some time. You're t- you're getting tired from throwing the ball back to the pitcher? Like, that's just a toss. Dude, it's it's 350 <laughs> tosses. It's not just a regular toss. And you're not always tossing it back. You have to be able to throw it with pace because if there's a guy on base, if you're just tossing it back, they can time it up. You're throwing down in between every inning. You're throwing a third base on strikeouts. Like, I mean, it's not just tossing the ball. Jeez. It's not just tossing the ball, apparently. I'm trying to figure out here. Yeah, so the Blue Jays, I'm just trying to look up the record. I guess that year, the Blue Jays were hoping to be competitive, so it wasn't one of those ones where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter if we win. You guys were 27 and 34 at the time. But uh, I think that was that was probably, was that before or after the Magic, like, 11-game win streak? It might have it it been because uh, we were 34 and 20 something so we were we were already into uh, April May June we were already into June I would say or getting close to it and that's when we made that run was in June so yeah so this might have been shortly before the run uh which is surprising to be able to do stuff after that this the lineup was again very blue Jays of that era Melky Cabrera Jose Otista Edwin Adam Lynn you were hitting fifth yeah Fifth batter. Colby, Colby Rasmus, Meisers Tourist, Emilio Bonifacio, Muninori Kawasaki, Mark DeRosa, and Josh Tolley all appeared in that game. It's a good uh, a good game for just name drops of the 2013 Blue Jays 
which I guess is probably not one of the teams that people like to remember. But, you know, 2015 happened close enough after that that it's all right. Yeah, well, way to go, dude. That was the captain of that ship behind the plate, and that's what that's <laughs> how you you set that up. And really appreciate that, Nick. We, you know, I, I hope you stubbed your foot. That. I hope you stubbed your foot while you're walking around, not just once. Why didn't – at a certain point, did would they consider – how many innings do you think you'd have to catch – before they consider bringing in Josh Tolley in relief just as a catcher. Not not, not, like not, go, not happening. I'm going because you know that he's going to go the next day. And so yeah. that's – that's and then once you get him as a pinch hitter at some point, which I imagine that he did that, that game since you said he was in it, then um, then you're done. So it's kind of me just going, hey, who's the emergency catcher if anything happens to me? So don't, don't get hurt. I, lo- I love emergency catchers. John McDonald, emergency catcher for so many years. I think, I that- think that day our emergency catcher, no lie, was Emilio Bonifacio. I want to say that that's the accurate statement. I asked Gibby about emergency catchers earlier this year, and he didn't know. And he, he had Solarte and Devin Travis as his candidates, which was interesting. Yeah, have fun trying to find a guy like – I mean, dude – if it ever got to emergency catcher situation, wait, just as a fan, you need to tune in because it's probably going to be straight comedy because you're going to see how hard it is to catch. Well, it's just like the position player pitching, but are, but probably even worse because a lot of these guys who pitched had some experience at some level and a lot of these emergency catchers like literally no experience. Yeah, and literally you're catching the best pitcher on the planet because he's a major league pitcher so it's not it's not just like okay you've never like if i grab a ball i can pitch and it's easy to throw a ball at a glove but if i'm catching now you're going well this guy's throwing 95 i've never caught it and it's moving like crazy and he's got a slider just ask anybody who get like messes around and tries to catch first off if they're not used to it your knees are going F off, and then second off, you're trying to catch these guys. So that's why it'd be a million times tougher to catch, uh, be an emergency catcher. All right, JP, everyone believes your job was hard. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it was the toughest thing. I don't know how anybody could ever do it. It's the toughest thing on the planet. All right, that's our show for this week. JP, getting back in the black on Career Trivia, marching back towards 60%. Thanks for listening to episode 15. Continue to like and subscribe on iTunes. And can you like on iTunes? Just subscribe on iTunes and uh, just find us wherever you find your podcast. We will be there. So we'll see you next week.